very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Growing Dentist Podcast. Today I'm really glad I have Sandy Brad with me. She's somebody who I have known through ADMC, an association of uh, dental management consultants. And um, she's um, both a spouse plus a consultant who helps many dentists uh, grow their business. So Sandy, why don't you why don't you start by, you know, introducing you to our audience? Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me, Noreen. I really appreciate it. And um actually, I've been involved in dentistry in some form or fashion for almost 40 years. I met a first-year dental student when I was 19. And from that day on, I have been involved in dentistry, whether going to a dental school via my husband or serving in the armed forces as a dentist in Germany for years, and then opening our own practice in a small town in Tennessee. From the ground up, we started, and I was the first and only employee at first. And uh, it was it was a huge learning experience. We made lots of mistakes. We had a ton of bad hires, but we eventually grew, and the practice grew, and we learned together. And we made mistakes. We learned hard lessons, and then after about 32 years of practice, we sold his practice, and he retired. So I've been through the whole lifespan of dentistry, and I knew really early on, probably in the late 80s, that I was going to become a consultant, a speaker, and a coach at some point. In fact, I had only gone to probably a couple of Linda Miles' seminars at the Hinman in Atlanta, and I realized right then that that is what I wanted to do. So I immersed myself in seminars and materials for a couple of reasons. One is I wanted our practice to grow and to get better. And two, I wanted to learn and be really good at what I did because I did all the management part of the practice and my husband did the clinical part and we had a great partnership for over 30 years like that. And granted, we had to set some boundaries at home, but <laughs> but basically speaking, uh, we were very fortunate and, and grew a thriving practice. So about when I found out that he was going to retire in a few years, I went back to school and got my MBA, and I focused it on the business of dentistry. Every project I did in school was about dentistry. So I... Not only did I learn how businesses in general work and what is working in this day and time and what is not as far as organizational relationships and behavior, I, I, it was a great experience. But I also got to focus on the dental industry. And um, it was a great, great arrangement. And in 2005, I finished my MBA, and that's when I opened my practice. Uh, my practice of consulting and coaching teams and dentists. And I love it. I love to speak. I love to write. I love all aspects of it. 
and it's challenging. And I see a lot of the mistakes that we made were not our similar mistakes to other people are, are making. And, you know, having hung around with Dennis for 40-something years, I know what they talk about. And it's right. not that different. It's not that different. There are a lot of similarities of what all the dentists are talking about, what they're struggling with. And I think that's what convinced me that this would be a really good field to go in. We don't have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. This is a fascinating story. So you've been in, in dentistry for like 40 years, first that's as a right. practitioner, right, as the person with your husband running the practice, and mm-hmm. then then helping others. So, And you mentioned you see people making similar mistakes or facing similar challenges. Let's rewind the clock to when you were kind of helping your husband or working with your husband to run your practice. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you encountered early on, you know, that you that you are seeing again and again with your clients? Well, I see, I think a, a lot of the mistakes we made were in hiring. We didn't know how to interview people. We didn't know how to train people. Like so many dentists, we didn't have systems and anything written down as to how you do this and how we want this done. And every dentist works differently. You have to learn how to work with every dentist um, because even if you're an assistant or a hygienist, there are differences. Each practice has its own signature way of doing things. And the one thing dentists have such a hard time, I think, realizing is their work, it is a hard realization, their work is really in the minds of the patients a commodity. All From the patient's viewpoint, all of the dentists had to go to dental school and they had to graduate from dental school. They all had to achieve the same skills. They all had to take a test for a license and they all had to meet those standards. So in the minds of the patient's the dental work should be guaranteed because of the education and the licensing process. The thing that makes a dental practice stick out from the crowd and be greater is how the patient's experience is when dealing with their practice. From the very first minute they talk or communicate with the practice to the very end of the experience. It's how they relate to their patients. It's not what they're doing. Granted, they can't hurt them. They can't do shoddy dentistry that doesn't last or doesn't look good. I mean, that's a given, but that's, that's what they were taught in dental school. And so in the minds of the patients, it's how they do things. So I think we didn't have that down at the beginning. We had to develop those systems and those ways we wanted people treated and we wanted to relate to our patients. Those are the things you want to teach your employees. And if you don't have them organized and systemized so you can teach them to be consistently delivered, you make a lot of mistakes. You lose patients. You lose team members. I know one time we lost a very valuable team member because of another unperf- uh, team member that was underperforming. 
So we ended up with the underperforming employee instead of the high-performing employee. Right. Just because we weren't we weren't training properly and we weren't setting expectations for our team members. It's it's funny, right? They, they teach you dentistry, but they don't teach you how to run a business. Um, you know, in no, they don't. And, they uh, don't. And like you said. As far as the customer is concerned, the dentistry is the commodity, it's the business, it's the experience, that's not. That's right. That's the only place a dentist can differ. Right. That's the only place they can be different is how they relate and communicate and treat the, the, their patients and the people who are potential patients. It's it's very frustrating, I know, for dentists who have gone to a lot of expense and a lot of time to learn the skills of dentistry. And they love, so many dentists love that clinical part of it. And it has to be maddening for them to know that's not what the patient values. Right. It's kind of interesting. I remember reading a, a book called Purple Cow by Seth Gordon, and he talks yeah. about the concept of, uh, um, he, he talks about the concept of being remarkable. In other words, the way he defines it is be somebody that people are willing to remark about, talk about, right? So, and you're right, you know, how can You have to be memorable. Yes, you have to be memorable. And every dentist and their team have a distinct personality. And they have to find their particular personality and they have to systemize it. In other words, when I go into a practice and we start systemizing things, one of the important things is is all of the operational systems have to be geared towards the patient and towards how the patient relates to the practice. And it has to have that that particular trait of that particular practice. Like, in other words, this is the way Dr. we at Dr. Baird's practice, we treat people this way. We talk to people this way. We answer our phone this way. We go the extra mile this way. You talk about how you can develop that, that unique personality that your practice should have. Right. It's almost like a unique process, unique set of steps. That's so unique to your practice and your way of doing it is things. A, right, and that's why I spend so much time on the analysis, I think, when I analyze. That's kind of the first step with the practice is I analyze the practice, and I spend a lot of time personally interviewing the team members, the doctor. I I look at patient reviews. I even interview patients sometimes in my evaluations. I look deep deep, deep into the reports from the practice management software. I look at the financial reports, the profit and loss, the cash flow, the balance sheet. You, I have, and I have to watch. I have to observe and watch the practice in motion. Watch it happen because that's the only way I can kind of help the team find their uniqueness. And you think- then... They have some uniqueness, but it's not consistent. It's sometimes there, sometimes not there, and that confuses people. Exactly. 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 And sometimes they're just flat, and they don't. They're not. 
they don't realize the value of their unique position, whether it's putting local art in their practice or having, you know, a bird theme with bird feeders and all the windows. And I mean, that's one thing we did. We really got into the nature and the bird thing because that's what my husband and I love. So, and we're, we had a practice in the woods, essentially. So we had bird houses, we had bird books, we had bird posters, and we had nature pictures. And I think that that kind of reflected our unique aspect. But then when we talk to people and interact with people, we we do it with a a, a real comfortable, natural, tender, soft way that um, some, you know, it won't attract every single human on the practice, but it's certainly satisfied and and turned some patients into advocate patients. And advocate patients are invaluable, totally invaluable. Right. You know, let's talk about um, advocate patients, for example. So what creates advocate patients? I mean, I call them fans, right? They're not customers. They're like right. fans of a musician, right? What what do you think they is the are. secret to having advocate patients? What do you think creates them? Or what do you think? <laughs> it's funny to address that because I'm writing an article for the I hope to get published specifically on that. There was a wonderful article written by uh, the Harvard Business Review on why people buy. And it's all related to emotions. People buy because of emotions, not because right. of facts are I mean there are a there is a small percentage of people who buy just on facts but most people buy emotionally and there are 10 emotions that that customers and patients need to feel in order to become an advocate an advocate for your business or your practice I mean we were talking about Apple computers earlier. Talk about creating advocates. Wow. Right. They did it in such a remarkable way. But it touched on those 10 feelings, that sense of belonging, that um, of being in a group, that sense of being treated special, that they were felt like in that practice they were queen for the day or king for the day. There are 10 emotions, and I'm anxious to get this article uh, finished and out for publishing because I think it sends an important message that in order to create an advocate, it's not amazing clinical work. It's touching these feelings that people have, these emotions that we all need in our lives, like belonging in a group. I like feeling special, like we're going to somebody that is better than anybody else, or we're buying a product that is better than any other product like this. Um, and that advocate, the key thing about an advocate patient, I think, is first of all, they tell everybody how wonderful you are. Right. They are much more compliant. They will do what you recommend. Come hell or high water, they're going to do it because they truly believe you are looking out for their good. Right. Also, they will forgive mistakes. If you mm -hmm. make a mistake a couple of times, they are much more forgiving than those who are not advocates. 
I remember one advocate we, we had in our practice. I just loved him. He was great. The thing that made him an advocate was that we always saw him right on time or early for his appointment. And his temperament just needed that type of fulfillment um, because he was a very busy person, had a very demanding job, and I think he was probably one of our practice's biggest advocates. He he brought so many patients to our practice, and he was was just an A plus patient. But I know he says that's the thing that did it. There there was more that did it, but to have somebody or a small percentage of people like that is what you really are trying to achieve because everything else follows if you're able to create those advocates. Right. And the funny thing is it's also fun treating them, right? Because they love you and you love them. So it's like a awesome relationship. <laughs> you look it forward is. to treating them. Absolutely. It is so much more fun. And they're healthier because they're willing to do what needs to be done. Right. Right. Very, very interesting. That's amazing. Um, it talking is. About, talking about team members, I know you said uh, in one of your earlier remarks that hiring is, is where it starts, right? Can you talk uh-huh. more about that? Give me some color. Give me some examples. You know, What do you mean by uh-huh. you know everything starts with hiring? Well, it does. First of all, I think it's important to remember you want to hire in a dental office, you want to hire a person you like, that has a personality you like. Uh, because a lot of times, they're not a lot, I mean, you will be teaching them your way of doing things. They may come with some prior knowledge, which is helpful. Sometimes it's not helpful. Uh, we were in a small town, so most of the people that we hired had never worked in a dental office, ever. So we had to design systems very early on because we had to train just about everybody that we brought in. But we learned very quickly, you want to hire somebody whose personality you like and enjoy and and is willing to learn and able to learn. And you can't just, I mean, so many, We at first we didn't do a real interview. We just kind of talked and chit-chatted, and then we hired them. It was that simple. It was crazy, really. Now I am a firm believer in three interviews with set questions. And nowadays, of course, because of HIPAA and all kinds of things, you have to, you know, have to call those references, have to do that background check. But one interview will not do it. Every single interview you learn something different. I know there was one candidate we had, and on the third interview, it all of a sudden she said something about a conflict she had in in the public school system with her child, just out of the blue as we were talking. And we knew, I mean, right then, we knew. Or one time we had a candidate who, on the third interview, told us, accused her last employer of sexually molesting her. We, I mean, these kind of red flags sometimes don't come up at the very beginning right. of a conversation. And people can put on a good show and a good act, 
for one hour or right. 30 minutes, but to do it three times, and one time needs to be at at least one time needs to be with the entire team without the dentist there. So they can talk at a different level. Um, those are some some ex examples, and I think I, there that are just so many. Is that more of an art than a science? I mean, interviewing. It's and both. Yeah, both. it is both. But I think too, a lot of dentists hang on to bad performers in their as empl employment because they are embarrassed to fire them, and they mm. keep these bad apples on their team. We had a bad apple that we kept on our team for nine years. Nine years. It almost destroyed our practice, our team. The morale was so low. And we knew after three years that the person was not the right person for our team. We knew that. But we felt like we were in a corner. We didn't feel like we had an option. We didn't feel like we could find another hygienist. Right. We just felt backed up to a wall. And so we kept this person, and it got worse and worse and worse. And finally, finally, when Bruce and I just were about to pull our hair out, I mean, we were, I mean, this is something you brought home with you every day for, you know, six years. We 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 let her go, and it was the best thing we have ever done in our practice. And I see so many practices that are hanging on to people. Either they never trained and they just kind of let go, do what they want to. They show up when they want to. They don't care about the team. They leave. They don't care about helping others. These, these people that are not team players, they keep them and hang on to them forever, and that causes the rest of the team to become very angry and resentful, just like I told you, that high-performing employee that we lost because we hung on to a low-performing employee. Right. So I think, yeah, training, training those team members to, to assist the dentist, to, to contribute ideas, to see the big picture so they can be more help than a burden. I know a lot of dentists look at their employees as a burden, but it doesn't have to be like that. If you work on developing self-managed teams where your team members are empowered, they feel like they make a difference. They know how what they do every day affects the practice, how it affects the practice, how it affects the patients, how it all works together. They have great ideas, and they're on the front lines. They get information from patients and people they meet on the street and their friends that the dentist will never, ever get. Right. I was going to ask you, um, you talked about bad apples, and, you know, sometimes keeping a lot of people keep bad apples, and they don't, you know, pull the trigger. Like, first of all, Typically, are there any characteristics of a bad apple? Like, I guess we all know it, right? In our gut, we know this is not working out. Yeah, and, uh, they don't show up on time. They're not there when the rest of the team is there. So they don't care. Uh, they feel it in, in um, what's the word, empowered to come whenever they want to. They leave in the middle of the day if they don't have a patient. Hmm. 
they don't care. They don't have a patient. They're not going to help anyone else. They are. They run out of the office at the end of the day. They don't participate in the meetings or don't even show for the meetings. If you have a special event like an open house or a Halloween party uh, for your patients, they don't show up. They're not team players, and they they belittle others. They they feel like they're smarter or better than the other team members, or they're divisive. They try to take a couple of the team members and vet them against another team member. There's so many um, characteristics to a bad apple. Um, they don't respond to criticism well. If you try to improve them or change their behavior or encourage them to um, increase their performance and do different skills and they um, criticize it, they don't do it, they say they're going to do it, but they don't do it, or they just pretend they do it. There's so many characteristics of a bad apple. You probably, you hire a lot of people. I bet you know some characteristics of a bad apple. Yeah, I mean, I have 182 people. Um, it's kind of interesting because I have such a large team, uh, I kind of find roles for people. So um, usually I find we all have unique strengths. I find... Um, I know it might be tricky in a you know five person dental office, but it is. you know with us, yeah, it's, it's a little it's a little harder. Mm -hmm. right. And everybody does have their strengths, and I respect every human. But I think there are some people who um, perform better in in a setting that's perhaps not healthcare related, or not as small, it's such a microscope, or that that doesn't deal directly with anxious and, and scared people or doesn't perform well, you know, in an environment where they can't text their family every five minutes or ten minutes. I mean, people who work in a dental office, they can't, you know, be on their cell phones all day long. Right. And that's, I mean, how can you serve your patients if you're on your cell phone all the time? It just, it can't work. So people with those type of needs will find a perfect fit in another industry. Oh, absolutely. So when, yeah, so, and, and, you know, it's, you don't find bad apples on every team at all. There are some teams, I mean, I don't certainly don't try to find bad apples, but after working with the team for a couple of years, it it can become um, obvious to everybody, you know, that things aren't moving forward because of a certain particular bad apple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's a it's very very it's a t tough uh, topic, you know, because it's very emotional too, right? Sometimes you feel loyal and you feel guilty and that's all those right, things. That's right. right. So, and when you hire them, they become like your family. I right. know. I did it. It's like hiring a family member. We right. love them like our family. We feel responsible for them, and we're the ones who hired them. So if we have to let them go, it yeah. was our mistake. Yes, and we don't want to accept it. We don't want to admit no. it. No. It's, right. it's humiliating. It's humbling. No, right. it's terrible. I hated it. I hated that part of it, and so did Bruce. But we learned after that nine-year thing, you just have to do it sometimes. You just right. have to do it. Because the, the the casualties along the way, right, in those nine years. Oh, are much worse. Right. Much worse. Patients, after we let that person go, patients come up and thank us. 
<laughs> they would never say anything before. The team members thanked us. Right. I mean, this is the, but nobody would ever say anything before. And these are the kind of things that somebody from the outside, like a consultant or something, can see quicker, sooner, um, because they are on the outside. You don't have to worry about hurting their feelings or, you know, having your confidentiality breached. Right. So it's, 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 that's the value of having someone come inside, come from the outside inside. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your worst and your best experiences, you know, as a consultant. You know, like, in other words, when you went in, like, this, you couldn't believe it was this bad. And then, uh, you know, what were the challenges you saw? And, you know, some of the people you felt were doing an amazing job, you know, like, uh, either before well, or after you got involved. You know, I think all all of my practices, all of my dentists try very hard to do a great job. I think some of them just don't have as much knowledge about running a, a business, which, right. and they don't know what they don't know. You know, you don't know what right. you don't know. Right. And so they they can't reach their potential because they don't know what they don't know. But the, the hardest, the very, very hardest experience I had was my very first client. My very first client, who is a, a dear, dear close friend of ours, lives, you know, three or four hours from us, um, which is not a problem. I love to travel. And, and I worked with him. He, he had called me and said that he, he wanted an employee handbook. He wanted an employee handbook. I said, sure, I'll be glad to to work an employee handbook with you. And so as I got in and we started working and evaluating things, uh, it became very clear that there were other issues going on. He was having a hard time saving for retirement. He didn't have a whole lot saved for retirement. He was having sometimes a hard time just making, um, you know, making payroll. Not often, but occasionally. And so we, I started looking in things, started kind of evaluating the practice, and um, ran across some information that was very confusing to me. I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. So we had meetings with he and his wife and, and I, and we sat around talking about what could be causing these reports to look like this. And... Um, it took about three months before one night in the middle of the night, out of the blue, I woke up and knew that he was being embezzled. He was and what? being embezzled. Oh. And this was the sweetest, nicest human that I have ever known walk this planet, this dentist was. And he had two employees that had been with him for over, what, 15 years? And um, so I sit, I sat down and talked to he and his wife about it. And at first, of course, there's no way that could be true. That can't, that's not happening. That's not happening. So um, I spoke with the accountants and spoke with him. We went back and forth. And pretty soon it became very clear to everybody, you couldn't deny it, that that's probably what was going on. And so we had... And he didn't want to fire her. 
he he did not want to. He definitely did not want to prosecute her, and he didn't want to fire her. And at that point, I had uncovered about $500,000 probably that had been taken over the years. And uh, I think it was a lot more than that. And so he wanted to move her to a different role where she didn't deal with money. So this was hard. But finally, we actually met with the person on his team, and she confessed. And she begged for him not to fire her. But thankfully, he did. He made it was very hard for him, Barry. This was a very painful, painful process because, you know, they're like family. You go to their weddings. He was their child's godfather. They go to church together. You know, it's just everything. It could not be really true, but it was. And I think that, and I've seen embezzlement since then, and I speak on embezzlement because that experience was so devastating for him and for me, both, because I was naive. It took me three months to figure out what was going on, and I thought, what in the world? So now, actually, I'm studying to be certified as a fraud um, inspector, uh, investigator. So I've really, this has become a passion for me, but that was for sure my most difficult one, just because just because um, I was I was so I knew the person. Sandy, tell me a little bit about um, you know um, teams you have worked with or dental practices you have worked with, um, and um, uh, especially on the topic of self-managed team. You know, what, what is a self-managed team, and um, you know, kind of like tell me more. Like I, I really love to learn more about that. Self-managed team is a concept that's been around since about the 1960s, 1970s. Um, it's, it's the next evolution of business structures. And I became aware of it and was taught it about it and how successful it was when I was in business school. And since then, I got very interested in it in business school because I think it is absolutely perfect structure for dentists. And the reason I think that is because dentists, in order to be successful and productive and profitable, have to be doing dentistry. They cannot be spending their time managing their team, looking over their team's shoulder, telling them how to do that, designing systems, seeing if the systems that are currently being used work or don't work. They, first of all, they don't know how to do that, and that's not going to make them money. So it's a perfect structural organization for the dental practice because the dentist doesn't do the managing. The systems do the managing. So I like to... I talk, this is one of my uh, seminars also on how to develop self-managed team. I like to look at it like a baseball field in a baseball game. There's home plate, first plate, second plate, third plate. First plate in developing your self-managed team is you have to be really thorough with your training. And in order to do effective training consistently, 
you have to have written operational systems, systems that have been proven to be successful, best practice systems, not the ones that have just evolved through your practice by someone you don't even know who. A lot of the times the dentist has no idea who learned how to do the accounts receivables process or how to do the statements or how to do the deposits or reconcile the end of the day. It was just developed somehow by someone. But to have, it is so important at that point with training to have systems, patient-oriented best practice operating systems. And that's what you train your team on, whether it's one new member or your entire team. Then we're able to run to second base, where you focus on communication. It is essential for a team to have regular communication. Think about a football team or a baseball team or a basketball team. They have to come together and huddle. And, and communicate and share information, get everyone on the same page. They have to be able to communicate when patients are in the practice. They have to be able to communicate outside of the patients so they can work on getting things better, on correcting errors and mistakes. So that level of communication is critical and it can be, it is designed to be to be scheduled into your everyday practice. The third base is accountability. This is where all your operational monitors and your data and statistics, your employee performance reviews, your employee reward. It's very important to have an employee performance reward system an employee annual review system. These are very important tools of accountability. If you build the accountability into the structure of the team meetings, the morning huddles, the communication, the day-to-day basis, use the monitors to reflect how your systems are performing, then you have automatic accountability. In other words, the dentist does not have to be a boss. The dentist is not the boss. The dentist reads the data and with the team and everybody sees very clearly which systems are performing properly and which are not. And so they can address the needs of the system. They don't point fingers at each other. They are all in it for the same goal and they all want to get better and make the practice better because then they reap more rewards. And so that accountability is really important to establish. So the dentist can go to home base and hit the ball out of the park and do dentistry 99% or 95% of the time, be busy doing dentistry knowing that the team is managing themselves they are following systems, that they are communicating with with the dentist and with each other, and they're all trying to achieve the same goal. So this self-managed team structure is a lot different than the old school type of employee-boss relationship 
that goes on still in a lot of practices. And it's been proven, actually, it's being self-managed teams are being developed all over the world in all types of industries because they have proven to be so successful. I mean, increase in production is like 30% has been proven. Employees are more satisfied. They, they stay longer. They don't miss work as long. They try harder. They work harder. And they love what they're doing. It's, it's a win-win situation. And it is a constant process. It's a constant process. But once everybody gets on board, it is, helps the dentist save them time, lowers their stress, because the team members are solving their own problems. Right. So the self-managed team, um, how does one go about creating it? I mean, you talked about training, right? Now, most dentists, right. as you know, are clinicians. They love the clinical part. They hate all the other stuff. Uh, I'm right. not, I don't want to generalize, but I've seen that a lot. So how do you, yeah. you know, like how does a dentist who, to begin with, doesn't enjoy this other stuff? You know, <laughs> well, that's why I do what I do. Because right. I saw that need. Because dentists don't know how to run, uh, most of them do not know how to run the business part of their practice. They don't know how to reconcile their end of the days if they even think they need to do that. And that's a very important step that everybody has to have a process, end of the day reconciliation process. They have to have processes for accounting for their patients with credit balances. They have to have their accounts receivables, how to handle over accounts. Dentists know very little about this. So that's why I do what I do, because that is my expertise. And they don't have to just let it happen. They can get someone in to help them and teach the entire team how to do these jobs. And if everybody on the whole team knows how to do it, then expectations are met because nobody wants to report at the team meeting that their particular statistics are below the goal or they don't want to report. The whole team knows that they're supposed to do things this way. And if they're not doing it that way and it becomes obvious, the whole team becomes aware of it. That's the important part of accountability in a self-managed team. Right. But so that, that first step is where they need, I mean, you need help setting up the whole structure. But once you get the structure set up, you can use it for years and years and years and years. Right. So do you feel like they will take and continue it once it's set up? Or do you feel that somebody like you have to be constantly involved forever? No. In fact, my job is to, my biggest job is to work myself out of a job. <laughs> right. I mean, my goal is to give them the structure and the information that they can use and not have to depend on me. I teach them how to analyze their data, their figures. I teach them systems that are best practices and are successful and that I've tried and I've lived with and know that work. So I I share this information with them and then they and I train I train their teams to do it. And then they can they can separate from me. That's my hope. I haven't really done a good job if they're still dependent on me. Can you tell me some examples of people or just describe to me some examples of people uh, and kind of how it worked? Or maybe just give me one example. Like typically you go in 
what happens first. Um, just walk me through the whole process and all the way okay. to the day you're exiting the business, you know. So oh, okay. Well, the first step typically is I do a real in-depth evaluation. As I mentioned earlier, that evaluation stage is critical because that's when we uncover a lot of information that helps us understand the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, the threats to the practice. Also, it helps us understand we uncover the goals, so we know what goals the dentist wants for his or her practice. Um, we understand the barriers that are in place that need to be minimized or removed. So that evaluation stage is critical. From that evaluation stage, and I do that, when I do that, I usually come on site for a couple of days. I interview all the team members. I interview the dentist in depth. I um, look at all the reports and the data I observe. I look at all the financials, and I look at patient reviews. So I can get a 360-degree view of the practice. And from that information, I come up with some recommendations, and I come up with a plan. And I sit down with the dentist and other people who are involved in the leadership role, and we tweak that plan, and we try to uncover that competitive advantage that particular practice has, something we can nurture and design our systems around as well as design it around the experience the patient is going to have. Because once again, like we said earlier, it's that patient experience that creates advocates for your practice. And patients who are healthier and they come regularly and they accept your treatment and they 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 understand when mistakes happen. So that's that you kind of uncover all of that. Then you design this game plan. Get this game plan together. And so the dentist and I come up with this game plan from all the data and all the re recommendations. And the second stage, now that's called the analyze stage. The second stage is the systemize stage. And that's where we go in and we get established meaningful practice measurements. We pull out all the measurements that will help reflect how each operational system is performing in the practice. We get those together so we can study them every month as a team and share them as a team and have the person who is most closely related to those duties report it at a team meeting so they take responsibility for it. We also set team goals. We establish team rewards. We clarify at that point. We start clarifying through various systems um, what expectations the practice and the doctor have for performance from their team members as well as behavior because that behavior, that communication level, that relationship with their patient is what ultimately matters. So the dentist will, we will establish some of those expectations and make sure they're very clear so the whole team understands what's expected of them. And this is done, can be done through an employee handbook. If, it, if that's the primary source. Uh, ten team commitments, I really like to commitments on how I will behave when I am in my role at the dental practice. 
and how I will treat others, how I will communicate with others, what I will do, and my tone and talk with others. I also, um, then we start um, designing the the operating systems, the best practice operating systems, and we kind of tweak them, tweak them to meet the needs of that practice. So I may come in with a system that I know works, but every practice is a little different. So we need to customize it for each practice to make it work for their particular, the number of team members they have, the particular physical design of their practice, or their particular competitive advantage. And then we integrate, then I have to integrate uh, very important checks and balances, financial checks and balances. This is something that is missing in so many dental practices, and it's critical for the safety of the dentist and the practice and the dentist's reputation and the good the good being the environment the whole work environment is having these financial checks and balances in place a system just like anything else that have to be done in order to assure that the dentist knows what's going on and the team members know the dentist knows what's going on so that's the whole systemized stage then we move into the realized stage the realized stages is when the payoff comes. This is when your team members understand how what they do every day reflects on the data of the practice, on the success of the practice, on how it makes a difference as to what they understand their value on the team. They understand that their input and their ideas are listened to and they have good ideas, good suggestions, and they are in a safe environment to share those with. Then you start realizing the value of working on a team, or a, a well team-minded group of people and how much easier and less stressful and more productive work is. And of course, then you realize all the benefits of best practice systemization. You start creating advocate patients. You start Having more patients, your practice is growing, your treatment plan acceptance is growing, your reputation is getting better, your your income increases, and your sense of pride and joy in what you do. Dentistry can be a very easy burnout um, if you don't find day-to-day joy and satisfaction in what you're doing. If you come home frustrated, angry, and just don't understand why things can't go right, that is going to lead quicker to burnout instead of coming home with a sense of pride. Boy, today was really a good day. You know, I I helped a lot of people. Uh, We have a lot of friends in our practice. I feel really good. Our patients have said some nice things about us today. So that's where you start realizing the benefits of what you've done up to that point. if you continue doing it, then you should be able to continue to realize those benefits. Makes total sense. If somebody wants to learn more about you, I know you have a website. Can you give us more information, Sandy? Well, yeah, I do. I have a website, bearconcepts.com. But I would love to talk to anyone, too. And, and you can call me at 877 511 
888-4759, or you can email at sbaird at Baird Concepts. But my website has a page for practice management, a page for speaking, and just kind of a page about me and my background. And so it's just general information, but I would love a phone call because there's, even if we never were together, just talking with dentists about the challenges they face and the burdens that they carry, because I know I lived with a dentist, I slept with a dentist, I know the burdens of owning a practice, being the sole provider for that practice, having to support the salaries of eight other people, it's a huge responsibility. And it can be, and to share that with someone, with somebody who understands what's going on, I would love to just do that. I would love to do that, if nothing else. So I encourage everybody to go to the website or just call me. What's your phone number again? I know your website is BAIRD, which is B-A-I-R-D, Concepts, C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S dot com, correct? That's correct. Thank you, Noreen. That is correct. And I will repeat that phone number, 877-511-4759. Thank you, Sandy, for sharing your knowledge and experience of 40 years, you know, obviously as a consultant and prior to that as a manager slash spouse. Uh, so that's wonderful. I, I think Unfortunately, in life, we all learn by making mistakes. So I guess you we made your share of mistakes and yes. you know, learn from it. And now you're trying to help others, hopefully not make as many mistakes as you did. <laughs> I am. And thank you for helping me spread this word and, and, and tell people about the potential, the possibility for growth they have and change and the fact that they don't have to do it all by themselves. I know it, dentistry is a hard job. It is a a very hard job, but you don't have to do it by yourself. And and when when you work together, you just it's it's more fun anyway. So thank you for asking me to talk. Oh, thank you, Sandy. I really had a fun time. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And uh, thank you, all the listeners, uh, for listening to one more episode of Growing Dentist podcast. Have a wonderful day, and uh, check it out at GrowingDentist.com.